Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Anne Holder, a 1989 graduate from the U.S. Military Academy. In this episode, you'll learn how a comment that was made to Anne at a young age sent her on a mission to attend a federal service academy, what it was like to be a woman at West Point in the 80s, how Anne navigated the many challenges she faced at the academy, some of which made her question whether or not she wanted to continue on, and how ultimately, while she's grateful to have graduated from West Point, her decision to leave the military allowed her to tap into her entrepreneurial spirit while also building a family. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Well, where am I from? I actually live in Minnesota today outside of the uh, Twin Cities, um, was born and raised in Salt Lake City, and graduated from uh, West Point in 1989. Awesome. Okay. And to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? So who I am today, I am a mother of four. Um, I've got three older children who have all graduated from college and are actively serving in the Army. And I have one daughter that's still in high school. And I am a entrepreneur through and through and um, started two companies. Wow. Okay. So, so many things. I'm super excited to hear about this entrepreneurship streak inside of you. And um, it sounds like Army's big in your family. So I'm excited to hear about how that's all evolved. Um, but to start, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college. Uh, what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose West Point? Well, so when I was in fourth grade, their teacher was going around and asking everyone where they wanted to go to college. And no one had ever you know, I'd never even thought about it. And everybody's going around the room and I'm like, I don't know, University of Utah. I was living in Utah and I, I had, I didn't know anything about it. And there was a kid in my class that said he wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. And I was like, what is the Air Force Academy? And my dad, um, who had served in the Air Force, and so I go home, my dad what, um, what is this Air Force Academy thing? And he filled me in on it. And he said, and they just started accepting women. Uh, 1976 is when they they first went. So this was probably, it was probably 1976 or 77. And um, I was all excited about it. He told me all about it. Um, and I went back to the next to school the next day and um, went up to this kid and told him that that's where I was going to go. And he's like, you're not going there. You're a girl. And I was pissed. And it just kind of, it, it was like, for me, it was like this whole education thing. But then there was also something that, you know, there was a fire that was lit inside of me. It was like, there's no reason why I can't go to the Air Force Academy. And I, just by virtue of what my dad did and his pride in the Air Force, I just, I wanted to do it. And that's really kind of what drove me 
to do the things that I needed to do. I remember him telling me, you know, in order to get in this, you know, this is what they're looking for. So I was like, it was all about, you know, playing sports and being part of the Girl Scouts Cadet Council and doing all of these things I could um, do as a high school kid to um, kind of check all those boxes to make sure that I was a qualified candidate. That's kind of how it all started. Wow. Wow. So that's, it's stuck with you, huh? That whole time you never wavered? Never. I, (laughs) I didn't, I remember, you know, just going through the process, contacting the academies, of course, back then nothing was online. It's not as easy as it is today Um, to get all the information. I got all the information packets figured out how I needed to get registered for um, the interviews and I just kind of went through the whole process and my my heart was really set on going to the Air Force Academy. It was frustrating for me because I it was really interesting back in the day as a woman going through the interviews with the, the congressional staffs and the liaison officers and I seem to be pretty well received in some areas, but I remember walking into one of the senator's offices and I sat down and the interview was with an Air Force officer and someone on staff. And it was one interview where they they wanted to have a parent there, which was different from all of the other congressional interviews because you went in by yourself but they wanted to have a parent there with you. And my dad went with me and the, the air force officer kind of, I remember him sitting back in his chair saying, I don't understand. Why do you want to go to the air force Academy? Like, why do you want to be in the military? And then, you know, and I answered his question. He's like, well, you know, what's wrong with, you know, getting married and having babies you know, and he was, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't <Yeah. laughs> expect this question at all. And I remember my dad sitting next to me and like, I could feel him, his face getting red. And it was just one of those things. I didn't really fully appreciate it, but for being a woman in the state of Utah, and this was probably in 1984. It just was not something that you did. You know, it's very heavily influenced by um, the Mormon church. You know, it women just didn't do that kind of stuff at all. And so, and when you talk, you know, you're with politicians and there's a heavy influence of religion. And I was raised in a very conservative Catholic family in Utah. It was one of those things that I just, I didn't really fully understand where it was going. And now I look back at it and I kind of laugh and I'm like, oh my God, how was, how inappropriate, you know, were these questions and where were they going? And I just, for me, um, I got uh, nominations to West Point, Annapolis and Merchant Marine Academy. Coast Guard was a different process. and. I, but I didn't get a nomination to the Air Force Academy. And I just, and I do think a lot of it was, it was really heavy competition from the state of 
Utah, um, because at that time at the Air Force Academy, within the academy, it was the only academy that Mormons could go to and actually leave the academy to go on their two-year mission and go back to the academy and not have to go back through the readmission process. Uh, yep. Um, yeah. So that's where everybody in the state of Utah wanted to go that wanted to go to an, an academy. Whereas if you went to any of the other academies, you had to go back and reapply after you did your mission. Um, you know, during your, cause you usually did it like when you were 2021, 20, um, you'd have to go through that whole admission process again. So mm -hmm. it was, but I didn't figure all of this stuff out until I was later, but I was kind of, I was really disappointed that I didn't yeah. get into the Air Force Academy. Well, like incredible that your dad um, was so encouraging at that time. Um, you know what I mean? And in that environment, and just like you said, you were raised in a Catholic conservative environment. Um, it's just fascinating that he was so supportive. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, yeah. I, I am curious, though, what was it? What was it about the military and these military academies that sucked you in when you heard that comp, like when you started researching it? It was my dad. I was enamored with flying. I was enamored with planes and um, we used to go, I just remember driving by the airport and they would have little places where you could pull over and watch the planes. And we'd be out and we'd just stop and watch the planes take off and land. And my dad, um, his role in, um, or his job in the Air Force was, um, he did work on the F-16s when they they first were released. And so we had the opportunity to um, go out to where he worked every once in a while. And he had an office that was pretty close to the flight line. And just being there and watching these F-16s take off and land was just exhilarating for me. Mm. And I loved it. So I was kind of these teenage girls, and I was a little bit of a girly girl. I, um, I did play basketball and I love sports, but I also was a figure skater. But I, I literally, um, in my bedroom, my dad would get the Air Force magazine that came out every month. And as soon as he was done with it, I cut out all the pictures of the planes and I had them all over my wall and I knew exactly what every single plane was. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you didn't get the nomination to the Air Force Academy. How did you land on West Point and what was the goal then if you were going to go to West Point? So I knew I wanted to fly. Um, I knew I had um, really good options at Navy as well as at West Point if I wanted to fly helicopters. And um, I had some um, you know, distant cousins that were at West Point and, you know, just talking to them and they really, you know, when it came down to, they, I think they really influenced my decision because, you know, there's so much competition between Army and Navy. They just told me every reason why I shouldn't go to Navy, but I didn't have anybody on the Navy side that was saying that to me. And I just, I ended up at West Point. Gotcha. And quite honestly, okay. it was a good decision. So good. Okay. Well, so 
So did you visit West Point though? Oh, geez, no. <laughs> no, I never did. In fact, growing up, I never went any further east than um, Denver. Wow. I, and we just, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I had never, we'd never gone anywhere east. You know, all of our family vacations were up to Washington State. We'd go down to California. They were all like Western State vacations. I never went to the East Coast. The first time I went to the East Coast was when I flew to West Point by myself um, for our day. And my mom had figured out they had a program where um, you'd fly into one of the airports and you'd go to a hotel downtown Manhattan. And then all of these cadets that didn't have family with them. They put us all on buses and they took us up and dropped us off at Mikey Stadium. And we went into the football stadium where they was, you know, they greeted all the incoming cadets and the families. Of course, they didn't have a family there. So that, you know, I'm already really homesick. What am I doing here? I was just in New York City. What is this place? My cab ride from the airport to to the hotel was like it was a cultural experience. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like, oh my gosh, where am I? And then, you know, staying in the city um that was just loud and um, you know, the smells were so different. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am not in the Rocky Mountains anymore. And, um, and then you show up at Mikey stadium and everyone's saying goodbye to their family. And I had nobody there with me and I was, was kind of a mess. I'm like, what am I doing here? Wow. And I just got to tell you, like, I am totally feeling this right now because I, like I've spent a lot of time in Utah and the Western States and mountain time and all that stuff. And, and I'm from New York. So I spent a lot of time in New York city and I can only imagine that the differences in those two states must have been even more extreme back then. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I, I can't, oh, yeah. I'm just like putting myself in your shoes, like being alone, showing up in New York City, uh, the taxi ride, oh my gosh, like so <laughs> overwhelming, uh, the smells, the yeah. sights, and then even just, even just that, that ride with other cadets to West Point, I mean, whew, overwhelming is an understatement, and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. Okay. So, so you got there and then like, so what happened? Well, our day happened. Um, and as with most people, it was kind of a blur for me. I had an issue with my hair. So like super curly hair. Um, I had gotten it cut super short thinking I'd be fine coming in. And they took me to, um, the beauty shop. They said I had to get my hair cut again. So I got it cut and ended up going back continuously for more haircuts because I couldn't figure out how to get the frizz down. And it was an absolute mess. So my R day, um, you know, I was able to get through a lot of the stations where you got everything that you needed, but like room set up and getting ready for the parade and doing all these things that you had to do during R day. I spent hours waiting in line and getting my hair cut multiple times. And by the time it was all done, I looked like a boy. Um, so, <laughs> and then I go back uh. to my room and my roommates have 
their beds all made, everything set up. They're all dressed and getting ready for this parade. And I had done very little drill practice and had to get ready for this parade. And I was like completely behind everybody else. I had no idea what was going on. And then I look at the mirror and I, I look like a boy. But I got through it. I had some pretty amazing roommates that were like, okay. And I remember our squad leader coming by and saying, talking to my roommates and saying, like, she's going to need some help. And so, you know, everybody kind of pitched in and got my bed made and things put away and got me ready to go out to a parade where I basically just had to pretend like I knew what I was doing and was following everybody. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, did, I mean, so many things, did the rest of the summer, how did the rest of the summer go? Was it, was it hard for you? Yeah, it was hard. I had a really hard time. I think Um, I was really homesick, really, really homesick. And sometimes I look back and my poor parents, you know, when I was able to talk to them on the phone, I would just cry and I was miserable and I wanted to go home and I asked them multiple times to buy me a plane ticket so I could get out of there. And, um, and I was lonely. I was really lonely and I was trying to figure out how to fit in. Um, I just didn't have this great support network around me. Um, and I, I went there quite honestly, I went there being a little bit naive thinking that I was in great shape and I really wasn't. Um, and I, I got there by the end of the summer, I was in really good shape, but I just, um, it was kind of a struggle for me. And I think it was more of a cultural struggle and then getting my, my head around what was happening. But I did have, there was one person and I'll be quite honest with you. Don't even remember his name. He was another cadet who was a firstie that um, his mom worked with my dad at Hill Air Force Base. He would come by and would check on me and not directly with me at all. He would talk to my squad leader. You know, the guy's name, I knew him and my dad had told me about him. And there was almost like, I felt like there was like this little guardian angel that was kind of like checking in on me to make sure I was okay. But quite honestly, I just, I didn't know him. I um, would, you know, see him a little bit, you know, like you'd be walking by formation and kind of look over and make sure everything's okay. But he, um, just by virtue of the conversations he was having with my squad leader and things my squad leader was saying to me, kind of got my head into the game. But it was interesting how somebody that I didn't even know um, was there supporting me in the background and I got through it all. For me, Mm. it was just like one day at a time, let's get through it and let's get, you know, academics started. Interesting. I could see how that could be really helpful though. I do like it just enough, a little bit of a support system, even though it really wasn't present, but like you could kind of just felt like that. I could see how that could be helpful. Um, Okay. So, but you got through um, and it sounds like by the end you felt like a little bit more, like that you got your groove, you were able to keep mm-hmm. up on the yeah. runs and the fit. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So then, so then tell me about that transition into the academy life, like with academics and everything. How did that go for you? 
<laughs> you know, I was definitely more comfortable. Um, you know, we built um, a really good camaraderie with my company. Um, and so I felt like I had friends around me and um, things seemed to be going okay. But I had, you know, and you probably could do some psychological assessment, you know, and really understand why this was happening. But I really had a hard time academically. I personally can't explain it, but I was very well prepared academically with my, you know, high school education. And I really struggled. And it was like, I would study so hard and I would sit down to take a test. And it, I had no idea what they were even asking. And I just mm -hmm. really, really struggled with it. And so my first semester, I was on academic probation. <laughs> and I was really trying to figure out, okay, what am I doing wrong? Because I am studying so hard. I'm getting all my homework done, staying up super late. And yet I'd go in to take a test and I just would forget everything. And, um, and then I would, and then because I was on academic probation, there was a firstie that was just always giving me a hard time. He literally would come to my room like multiple times. I wouldn't say every night, but there were several nights where he would open the door to my room and take a chair and sit outside of the door of my room and he would do his homework and make sure that I was studying and be watching me the entire time. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you this, Anne, like just from listening to your story, like, and just from the fact that I, I ran at the academic counseling center at the Merchant Marine Academy. I mean, it just sounds like straight up test anxiety, which I know it sounds oh, yeah. like really, like really, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a real thing for academy students, for sure, because the environment is so high anxiety to begin with. And even what you just shared about that guy sitting outside your room, um, that's anxiety producing. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, thank Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that's what it was. But there was nobody, there was nobody there to help you do yeah. it at yeah. all. So, okay. So, so tell me then, so what did you end up doing? Like when you went in, you were really all about flight. What evolved like during your freshman year, you're struggling academically. So what did you, what did you decide to do to get through that? You know, I just took it one day at a time, but I, I was still kind of undecided what I was going to do long-term. And I remember having a conversation with my mom and I told her, I said, I, I, I don't want, I don't think I want to stay. And she's like, okay, well, if you don't want to stay, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go to medical school. And she's like, well, mm. you know, honey, um, I don't think you can get into medical school with your grades. And I'm like, I don't care if I have to start all over, I'm going to medical school. And you know, they were just, my parents knew how much I really wanted to be in the academy. And so they really did try to support me, but really did try and keep me there as well. You know, just trying to say, look, just give it a little bit more time, take it one day at a time. And eventually they, you know, I made the decision to stay um, and really, really happy with that decision. Um, long-term, it's just been a phenomenal place to be from. Um, mm -hmm. But 
I really, really struggled the first year and a half, probably. And I remember the first day that you came back from spring break was the day that um, you officially commit um, and you can't, you don't have an open door to leave. And I remember going home for that spring break, you know, just saying, okay, I'm doing this. And I went back um, and I remember walking into class and I'm like, okay, this is it. And I did, I relaxed and, and things seemed to get much, much better for me psychologically. I seemed like I was more content, more happy. Mm. My grades went up considerably. And, and then it was my cow year or junior year that I met my husband. And that's when things actually, then I was like, oh my gosh, this place is actually great. You know, you can have normal relationships and, um, and I actually started having fun. But it wasn't until the end of my time at West Point when I actually started enjoying it. But it did, I mean, I did have some pretty significant challenges um, my last year there. It was never easy, but it psychologically, I think it got easier for me. Mm, okay. All right. There's a lot there. But let's, let's pause for a second. If you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? Challenging but I also want to say lonely. I I do think a lot of it was probably my fault in not opening myself up to be receptive to other people around me, but it was, yeah, it was, I would say lonely, but challenging. Yeah. It's, I I mean, say one word, sorry. It's okay. okay. But those two words make sense given everything that you've just shared, quite honestly. I mean, it really does. It doesn't sound like you really, found your groove and could take a deep breath until about two years in. So, so that makes sense. Everything, you know, those two words make, make sense. Um, Okay. So before we dive more into the, to some of those challenges though, let's talk about some of your highlights at the Academy. What were some of those most memorable positive experiences you had there? Um, so there are positive experiences there. Um, and this is probably a good one for me, but I had a couple classes that were amazing that gave me, um, it gave me some opportunities, especially being, you know, a cadet from Utah that had never been East of the Rocky mountains. I had one class that was, um, history of art and I took it as an elective And I remember walking into the class and my teacher, the professor, um, he basically said, look, if people are taking this class because you think it's going to be an easy A, it's not going to be an easy A. You're going to be lucky if you get a C in this class. So if you want to walk out and he kind of, he had a lot more details, um, go ahead. And people literally closed their books and walked out. And it wasn't like half the class, but maybe a third of the class actually walked out and it turned out to be the most amazing class. I mean, learned so much things that I didn't know about art and you know the history of art. But we had one project where you had to do a research project on something that was in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And um, I, I picked something that I found interesting from the Byzantine Empire and I had to do a bunch of research on it and they took us down and we all had to do presentations on our 
or piece of art. And I remember being in this beautiful hallway that had all this Byzantine art up on the wall and I had to do my presentation. And when I was all, when it was all said and done, there was like this huge crowd around me. And I was like, holy cow, you know, it was, it was kind of amazing. It was like, people are actually listening to me about my art here in the middle of New York city. It was, that was for me, it was really, um, empowering from a confidence perspective that was positive. And then I had another small class that was um, mass media in the military. I think there were six of us in the class and three professors, and they would rotate through. Sometimes two of them would be in there. And it was literally this one-on-one instruction. And we got to meet I can't remember Peter Jennings. I'm trying to remember some of the, the, the you know big names of people that would come in and talk to us in this small class. Like they'd come up to do a presentation in Eisenhower Hall for a huge segment of the core, but we'd have these one-on-one interactions with them, which was really cool. But one of the things that we got to do in that class was they took us down to the New York Times, and of course. As a cadet, you had to read the New York Times every, um, you know, every day. And as a plebe, you had to report on it. And they took us in and we met with the editor in chief of the New York Times. And, you know, they had, they had us really well prepared. They're like, okay, so they're probably going to call on somebody to ask your opinion about something that's going on in the news. And um, we want you to kind of talk about you know, something that you're interested in and have your opinion. And um, of course we walk in there and the first person they ask is me. I'm like, holy crap, really? You know, and I'm the the only woman in this room. And, you know, and I kind of talked about what I was interested in. And there was a lot going on with um, negotiations with at the time, the Soviet Union and nuclear arms reduction. And so I had my opinion about some of these agreements that they were working on and had a great discussion, really, really cool experience. Got back the next time we met as a class, my professor had actually taken um, my opinion that was written up in the New York Times and laminated it and handed it to me. And quite honestly, I hadn't read it. I didn't even realize that it showed up in the New York Times. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Wow. So I had some really <laughs> great experiences with, you know, things like that. Um, but if my best experiences came from meeting my husband and hanging out with his friends, there was just an amazing group of of people that I really got to know towards the back end of my, my time at West Point. Mm, interesting. It's so funny. Like the two stories that you shared though, were like around academics and like you started out by saying how challenging academics were for you. And um, <laughs> <I know. laughs> it sounds like you found your groove though, which is, which is awesome. You know? Um, yeah. All right. Well, so, okay. Let's, let's talk about some of the challenges you had then. Cause it sounds like there was still more to come, huh? I had a TAC officer, a tactical officer um, for our company that um, he came in my last three years. I had somebody different for my plebe year, but my last three years, he was a tactical officer. And um, my senior year, he just decided he didn't like me and decided that he did not want me 
to graduate. And um, it was, you know, I, I couldn't figure it out, but he just had, um, he was out for me, but he did it to a lot of people. Um, and he was very well known throughout the entire core. Um, everybody knew who he was because they knew if he was the officer of the day at night, he was going to be wandering the halls. He was going to be writing everybody up. He was just mean. And he decided that he was going to take me. He didn't want me to graduate. So um, he literally uh, gave me a D minus in leadership and military development. And um, and this was first semester of first year and told me that I was not, he um, was not going to let me graduate. And I was just beside myself because I was like, what is going on? I'm finally, you know, I'm so close. I'm more content now. And then I was dealing with all of this crap with this guy in little things. Like I remember on Saturday morning coming back from an exam and we had our rooms all ready for our Saturday morning inspection. And he came into my room and I had come into the room set my books down on my desk, put my coat on the back of the chair and literally just ran across the hall to go to the bathroom. And then I came back, he was in my room. I walk in, have to stand at attention. And he is literally pacing slowly around me and looking at me and he says, Cadet Warner, I don't think you're going anywhere this weekend. And I'm like, okay, what did I do this time? And he pulls out a little six inch ruler out of his back pocket. He walks over to the pillow on my bed that was perfect, perfectly placed, and decides that my pillow, one corner of my pillow, is a quarter of an inch off, and he pulled my um, my privileges for the weekend. And he'd been doing stuff like this to me every single week. There was something going on. He was... Um, whether it was my hair was too long or... Um, my shoes weren't shiny enough. My room was a mess. It didn't matter what it was. He was, he was on me for something, but that he had pulled my privileges for that weekend. Um, and that's when my, at the time, I don't think we were engaged yet, but, um, my future husband got really irritated and he's like, we've got to do something with this guy. We've got to figure this out. I don't know how it all happened, but I got connected to the head of um, behavioral sciences and leadership. And this guy was unbelievably supportive of women cadets. And I had multiple meetings with him and it just it kept escalating and kept getting worse. And I went in with all of my grades going back all the way to plebe year for military development and leadership. And had had like straight A's, um, and really high grades, and then there's this D minus. And and as I had been talking to him, of course, he's documenting everything. And I just remember him standing up in the office, and he's like, "Okay, we're doing something about this. We're done." And I remember him getting outside. I remember what building it was and everything. And he gets on a bike. And he rides his bike across the area, and then um, I don't see him anymore. And I literally uh, was, I finished a class that afternoon, 
and had to walk by the regimental tactical officer, um, the tactical officer's office, so the, the RTO office. And my tactical officer um, was standing at attention in front of him and the door was open and he was just getting read the riot act. Now I was walking fast, I had a place to go, so I didn't pay attention to what was going on. Later on that afternoon, I was called to my tactical officer's um, office and I was like, oh geez, now, now what? What's, you know, what am I in for? And I walked into his office, reported, and he said, he asked me to close the door and I was really uncomfortable. And he, and then asked me to sit down and he apologized for everything that he did to me. Wow. And I don't, I really, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what was said to him. I don't know any of the details. I know nothing. And I just remember sitting there in front of him and I just cried. I, I couldn't control it. And I just cried. And then that was the end of it. And he left me alone. Um, and that was probably, I mean, this was all going on through the early part of the second semester of our last year there. Oh but then goodness. all of a sudden I felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulders and it was over. But I just, <laughs> it was, oh, that's it was so awful. Much, though. That is so much. Oh my goodness. Uh, and, your, and your last year there, it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you got through that hurdle, which is that can't be understated. Um, so now you're approaching graduation. Uh, what, what was the plan and, and what did you end up doing? So I ended up choosing, um, ordinance, um, for my branch. I really, as you know, I wanted to fly. Um, but I, my priority at this point in my, in, um, in my life was, really being with my husband and flight school at that time was really backed up. So I knew that it was going to be a really long period between the time we graduated and when we could actually be together. And we, we had planned our wedding for after graduation in June. And so I changed my, my mind when we actually chose branches and I chose ordinance. Um, and I ended up in a heavy maintenance a platoon in Germany, so fixing all the big wheeled and track vehicles, um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we, my husband and I were both stationed in Germany, um, and we just had a blast. Um, we, it seemed like half of our class from West Point ended up in Germany, and so we were just, you know, traveling all over the place, all over Europe, all over Germany, and then the Gulf War happened. So that was a little interesting. I remember um, laying in bed, listening to our little AM FM radio that was on our nightstand. um, And it was probably midnight. And the Pentagon was listing off all of the units that were going to be deploying. And they said, Third Armored Division. (laughs) Like, okay. And Mm. at this point, I was probably three months pregnant already. And I just started crying. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can't deploy with my unit and you are leaving me. And my husband was like, oh, geez, I'm just tired. Can we just go back to sleep? And it just, he was like, okay with it. Like, you know, 
like, okay, we can't fret about this. We're not going to worry about tomorrow. Let's just, you know, get on with it. So, and we did, and it was fine. And it was really hard for me because I had this amazing group of soldiers in my unit and I loved them. And I basically got them ready to go to war and, um, but I couldn't deploy. And my husband did deploy. Um, he deployed Christmas day and, um, and then they were gone. Um, and I was actually the rear detachment battalion commander. And that was where I really, um, it was a huge growth experience for me. So our battalion was huge when we deployed. Um, it was a main support battalion. So it had light maintenance, heavy maintenance, medical um, supply, had basically all of the classes of supply. And so when the battalion actually deployed, it was a 1500 person battalion. And I was the rear detachment battalion commander. Uh, my uh, major responsibility was taking care of the families and just making sure that everything was okay. I had this group of soldiers to take care of, but then also just making sure that the, the families that were left behind in Germany had what they needed. And um, quite honestly, it was, um, it was a little bit heartbreaking. Um, I don't, the military wasn't really ready to deploy um, that many soldiers, and they really just didn't understand what was going to happen to the families that were left behind. Mm. So I had women that were left behind that didn't have access to bank accounts. They couldn't get money. They had, um, uh, they couldn't drive a car because everybody over, you know, most of the cars in Europe at the time were manual transmissions. So I had, you know, my, and you know, my E7 that was kind of like my right hand guy through this whole thing. He was going out and saying, okay, well, I got so-and-so's wife driving today. He was literally doing driving lessons for the wives so that they could figure, they could get to the commissary and get food. It was a lot of that kind of stuff that that I had to deal with. And then mm. on top of it, I have my baby. I was going to say, you were kind <laughs> of like, it's interesting because you were in the same situation in, an, in, a, in your own way, you know, like mm. your husband was deployed. Oh my goodness. Uh. Yeah. And, well, and then the other thing too, is I had my own unit that I had to take care of, but then I was also the, the wife of an officer of my husband's unit so I had responsibilities as kind of that wife also. Um, so I had all of the, you know, the wife's meetings that I needed to do with his unit. And then I had to do the same thing um, for my unit. Wow. And then I'm having a baby. I got, th I got through all of that. My husband came back. Um, my son was born in March and my husband got back, I believe, early July. Um, and so it was really heartwarming for him to see his son for the first time. And, um, it was, yeah, but that's know, that not easy. That's not no. easy either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that is not easy. You know, those first months with a, with a newborn by yourself. Uh, oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. I have to ask though, um, because going into, going into West Point, you were very gung ho with flying and now hearing how your career kind of unfolded, it totally took a different path. So how did you, how do you, how did you feel about that? 
you know, I was totally okay with all of that. Um, I, yeah. oh, I still have a passion for flight and aircraft. And um, the cool thing about where I was stationed in Germany, my heavy maintenance unit and all of our maintenance bays were literally on the flight line at Leverhorst Kasern. Um, and there was an Apache unit that was right next to us. So I could see the Apaches taking off and landing every day. I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. That's yeah. Cool. I was, and I, I understand that like, you know, when you're in high school and when you're growing up, like sometimes, you know, what you think you want to do can definitely change, especially as you mm -hmm. go through the academy. So that makes sense. But I'm glad to hear that, you know, you felt okay with that decision to kind of let that go. Um, okay. So, so what happens? So you, did you decide to stay in the military? Did you decide to get out? Like, how did the rest of your career evolve? So after the Gulf War um, and uh, Clinton was in office, there was a pretty significant um, decrease in the size of the military. And um, they significantly reduced the number of troops in, in Europe. So they actually deactivated the Third Armored Division. It was one of the divisions that they, they basically got rid of. And um, so I, my last job that I had in Germany was the battalion deactivation officer. So I had responsibilities for um, clearing out warehouses and um, getting everything turned in, all the inventory turned in and making sure that, you know, people that were going back to the States, everybody had what they needed, um, you know, as far as getting um, reservations for families to fly back and who had birds and who had dogs. It was just like everything, all the details. So I did that. And during that period, um, they offered voluntary early releases um, for our year group at West Point. And um, I actually made the decision to get out of the military at that time. Um, and I really thought my husband was probably, I thought he would stay in and I would um, just take some time, you know, with our new baby. And, and it, what happened was, so like my husband gets back from the Gulf, he'd been gone for quite some time, and then gets attached to a unit where he's never home. I mean, he literally was home for just weekends, you know, and not even a lot of weekends. They were just out in the field all the time. And I remember him coming home. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be away from you. I don't want to be away from our son. Let's both get out of the military. So we did. I was offered a position at uh, General Mills as an engineer, a food process engineer. So that was my first job out of uh, the army. Um, and at that point, my husband was looking at going to law school. So he had taken a position working in a law firm. And um, yeah, we ended up here in Minnesota, but we were only here for two years. And um, what had happened was I was in engineering and they asked me after about a year if I would be interested in being in operations. And quite honestly, I was really excited about it. Um, I liked the people I worked with, all the other engineers, but what I missed was I missed people. I missed interacting with people. I missed um, motivating people, developing people. Uh, I missed that whole active leadership that you get in an operational role. Mm. And so I jumped on it and I did that. And I remember getting a phone call from a recruiter saying, 
that, you know, there's a company in Chicago that's looking for an operations manager. They like your background. I don't even know exactly how they found me. And um, I talked to my husband about it. And I'm like, well, should I just go for the interview? He's like, why not? Just, you know, hone your interview skills and go. Came back from the interview and he said, well, how'd it go? And I said, it was great. Um, and it was Eminem Mars. And I like the facilities were beautiful. The people were so nice. I'm not moving to Chicago. And he was like, okay, we made that decision. We weren't going to move. And then I got the offer and I told him about the offer and he's like, I guess we're moving to Chicago. And I'm like, yeah, I guess we're moving to Chicago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, yeah, we did that. We moved to Chicago. I worked at MNM Mars, um, in the, um, the candy plant where we did candy bars and I was a line manager there, then moved over to the Dove ice cream plant where they make the Dove bars. Jeez, and girl, like, you're, oh my gosh, like General Mills cereals and like then candy, now ice cream. <laughs> yeah, that ice cream. But and I, so I ran operations in the Dove facility and then um, eventually we, we really wanted to get back West. Um, I really, and so we had looked at kind of like, where do we want to raise our family? Um, and I did have, let me back up a little bit. I did have our second child, Katie. Um, I had Katie when we lived in Minneapolis. And then when we moved to Chicago, I had Emma, our third child. Mm. Um, and so we had three kids and we're like, well, where do we really want to raise our kids here? Where do we want to be long-term? And we literally just up and moved and moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm. Um, and I had taken up, so when I was working in the Dove plant, um, the philosophy for the Mars family at the time is everyone in operations would rotate shifts. So we did. Um, every week, I would go from day shift to afternoon shift to night shift. And it didn't matter what your role was in the plant, you rotated shifts because that the is philosophy, so brutal. That is so oh, brutal. It was awful. I literally, I didn't know which which end was up. And it was it was really hard for me working nights. I just had a really hard time figuring out that sleep schedule, especially when you're doing it every week. You could never get into a routine. And I'd gotten up one morning and I had um, I think I was on afternoons or something at this point. And the house was clean, the laundry was done, and um, I had put our um, our youngest down for her morning nap. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm like, I have to go to the hardware store. So there's an Ace Hardware a couple blocks away. I run over to the hardware store. I'm in the hardware store, and I'm like, I've got a baby at home. And I panicked. And I literally got in the car, and I went home. And Emma's still sleeping, but it was a light that went on in my head. I'm like, something's got to change. This isn't working. I am just exhausted. We've got three kids. I'm rotating shifts. I can't do this anymore. Um, and so that we made the decision to move to Colorado Springs. And I had started doing some day trading on the side. I was fascinated with the markets. And um, so we moved to Colorado Springs and I actually, the market was actually on an uptick at that point. And I, we were day trading enough to pay the bills. And it took a few months off to just decompress and get my life 
back to being normal. And um, it was when we were living there that Pepsi called me and offered me a position um, to um, basically work with them um, for all their contract manufacturers. So I worked on Aquafina, um, bottled water, the the, Frapp the Starbucks Frappuccino, which is a partnership um, that Pepsi was part of. And so I worked on all these really cool products and getting manufacturing up and running and managing those contract manufacturers. And then I went into mainline Pepsi bottling where um, I had responsibility for several plants and logistics um, and, and did that. And I from there, I was actually going to go into sales because I had been in these operational roles for so long and I was really fascinated with selling and revenue generation. And, you know, if you look at a PL, I was only responsible for the expense side of it. Like, I want to know more about how does a company make money? And so I was actually looking at going into sales at Pepsi when a friend called and said, if you're going into sales, you need to be in high tech sales. And so I actually had an opportunity to get into high tech sales and um, I did, I made a transition. I worked for a great company in telecom where I had some really good experiences and then ended up in medical devices. And that's where I have been for um, half of my career now, more than half my career, I've been in medical devices and I ended up at Medtronic. What a cool career. Oh my gosh. I have like 9,000 questions that we don't have time for because seriously, like I could talk to you all day about your career trajectory. That is just incredible. <laughs> and like, wow, I just got to say, um, being a mom with, you have four kids, right? Yes. Yep. We four did have kids. another one. Yep. Oh my goodness. And then your husband, the two of you must really be in sync for all this adventuring that you guys do moving around and then, you know, involving your careers. It's just what a cool story and what a cool story. Yeah. Um, so, so now I have to know uh, with everything you just shared, how do you currently feel about your decision to attend West Point? You know, I would do it all over again. <laughs> it's hard. I had such a hard time there. And I would say that I was miserable for a large part of it. I would do it all over again. It opened so many doors. It gave me confidence that I'd never had before. Um, and it, I just, you know, and a lot of times I can't tell you how many times in different points in my career where there'd be things that's like, okay, there's, I've got anxiety. There's something that, you know, that I've got to get through. And I always say, if I can make it through that place, I can do anything. Mm. Um, and it's just, I would do it all over again. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Awesome. And okay. And what's next for you? Well, so I, I went to work at Medtronic, had a fantastic career there. I loved, I loved what I got to do. I was in sales and finance and business development, working at corporate, um, building partnerships between Medtronic and other really large organizations. And I, in that position, my last position that I was at, I worked quite extensively with the Mayo Clinic and got to know, um, Dr. Paul Friedman, who is now the chair of cardiology down there. And, um, and I worked with him in different things over, you know, a few years. And he came to me and said, 
um, hey, we're working on this really cool next, um, new technology. Would you be interested in working on this technology with us and then launching a company? It basically led to me jumping in with Mayo, um, doing all kinds of work and research and testing. And we have literally developed a, um, a non-invasive compression garment. It's beautifully made compression garment that's got sensors all over the belly. We can capture a fetal ECG, a maternal ECG and contractions. Um, it can be a wellness device for pregnant moms so she knows how many steps she's taking, how is she sleeping, what position is mom spending most of her time in. Um, but the goal of what we're doing is to improve outcomes because the U.S. has got such horrible um, uh, maternal outcomes. Horrible, yeah. And so we're really focused on utilizing machine learning um, to do very early um indications of a fetus being in distress yeah well so there's that entrepreneurial spirit for sure like i can see it throughout your whole career and all these jumps that you've made but what a cool what a cool um venture that you're on right now um yeah. def and definitely needed i as someone that just had a baby i can tell you definitely needed so um <laughs> so and just to tie this back you know you said you have four kids and three of them are in the army one of them still in high school uh did any of them go to west point actually yes so my two older kids did um our son will graduated in 2013 and then our daughter katie graduated in 2016 and then our wow. third daughter emma wanted to be a nurse and she wanted to be an army nurse and of course at the academies they don't you can't be a nurse they don't have nursing programs so she got an ROTC scholarship and she graduated from Creighton and she is stationed at Fort Bliss now as a nurse. Wow. Wow. So your whole life was Air Force, Air Force, Air Force, and then army. now your whole family is Army. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, there was Army before my dad, but yeah. I was more in tune with the Air Force, that's for sure. Yeah. You even ended up back in Colorado Springs, which is uh, the yeah. Air Force Academy. Crazy. Yep. I guess. Yep. Love those mountains, huh? So, <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, before we go, and do you have any parting words for listeners, perhaps a key message for your fellow Service Academy sisters? Uh, you know, I would say uh, just, um, you know, I kind of look back and this, this process and talking about my background. Um, you know, those of us that went through the academies had such a completely different life experience, um, but just embrace those life, life experiences and have confidence and, and take risks because you can always go back. You can always do something different if it doesn't work. And that's probably the entrepreneur in me giving that advice, but it just, I'm so happy that I've done what I've done. Um, and sometimes I wish I'd done it earlier, but I didn't have anybody telling me that you can do this. Mm, mm. Eh, it unfolded exactly how it's supposed to. You yes, know? it did. You yep. needed to go through all those little ups and downs and twists and turns, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, all right. Well, finally, what is one random fun fact about you, Anne, before we go? I love sports photography. Um, and it's an absolute passion of mine. And um, I don't know if it's necessarily a 
fun fact. No, but, that's a fun yeah. fact. Like what kind of sports <laughs> photography? I need more details. Uh, no, I started, I got into photography when I was in high school. And then when my son was playing football in high school, a dad was a photographer and he, um, I started asking him questions about it because he had all this really cool equipment and his pictures were unbelievable. And I asked him if he would help me get back into it. And so all of my son's football games, the two of us were on the sidelines. I invested in a really nice camera and I got into photography again. And with all my kids and the sports that they've all played, I absolutely love it. I love um, taking pictures. I love doing it for the teams and the families and um, it's just something I just really enjoy. And it's what kind of gives me, um, a release from, you know, the day-to-day work that I'm doing. Wow. Such a cool fun fact. See, you're a badass in the workplace and you're a badass mom. See, I love it. I love it. All right, Anne. Well, before we go, where can people reach you? So I am on Facebook um facebook and instagram and linkedin linkedin's also um really easy uh to reach me on linkedin um and then my email is ann holder a-n-n-h-o-l-d-e-r and the number six at gmail okay and i'll be sure to put all that information in the show notes for listeners so and it has been awesome hearing your story um such a such a cool path that you've been on for sure and, uh, and all of us Service Academy sisters, thank you for being one of those first classes to pave the way. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. But, uh, well, thanks but, for having me. Yeah, thank you, Anne. We appreciate you sharing. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.